You are listening to As a Woman, episode 54, Ectopic Pregnancy. In this episode, I'm talking all about ectopic pregnancies, what they are, how you know if you have one, what are the risk factors, and treatment options. I'm also sharing my own story of my ectopic pregnancy. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey, friends. Welcome back to As a Woman. To be honest, In my brain, when I was sitting down today to record an episode, I was thinking, I'm in the mood for something a little light. Let's do an easy topic. Yeah, well, this is not that. The truth is I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time, but I just haven't. I think a large part of it is that my own story is really involved here and that nobody wants to talk about ectopic pregnancies. They really stink. So it's not fun. This is not fun stuff. But the time has come. I've waited long enough. These are things that we need to understand because these happen to people. This happened to me. It was hard enough going through it. Do you know what's worse? When you are struggling and suffering and your friends don't even know how to support you because they don't even know what's going on. And I get it. How are they supposed to know? They didn't all go to medical school. They're not all doctors. Not everybody knows about this. But an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy outside the uterus. The most common location is the fallopian tube, but not all ectopics are in the fallopian tube. About 2% of all pregnancies are ectopic, and that's not really a small number, even though it sounds like it. Ectopic pregnancy is still a top cause of pregnancy-related death. And that should scare us. That scares me. I luckily have not had a patient who's died of an ectopic, but I've had a couple really close, you guys, really, really close, usually diagnosed late, comes to the ER, it can be scary. These are true life-threatening emergencies at times. Rolling back to the OR, calling everybody in, doesn't matter if it's middle of the night. So we take these so super seriously in medicine. All right, when we talk about ectopic pregnancies, really what that simply means outside the uterus. 95% of these are in the tube. So that's mostly where we're talking about tubal pregnancies, but they can also be on the ovary. They can be at the area between the fallopian tube and the uterus called the interstitium or the cornua. So partway uterine, partway fallopian tube. And they can also be abdominal, implanting in places that are not at all related to your abdominal cavity. It's insane. There's also a fun thing called a heterotopic pregnancy where you ovulated two eggs and one implants ectopically and one implants in the uterus. But for the most part, tubal pregnancies are the very, very, very most common type of ectopic pregnancies. I will say I had a case in residency of an abdominal pregnancy. So very fascinating. What had happened in this patient's case is the pregnancy had implanted into the blood vessels of what's called her retroperitoneum, the area of blood vessels where you're aorta and your inferior vena cava and your iliacs, which go to your legs, kind of like across her back. 
She did not live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She lived somewhere else, got a routine anatomy scan, and they noted that the baby was not in the uterus. Oh my gosh, you guys, it was like 20 weeks. I really don't remember, but it was developed. They recommended transferring her to a hospital that could take care of her. And I don't know what transpired, but I was working in the OBGYN ER. That's what we had at Parkland. We had four different ERs, OBGYN, psychiatry, medical, surgical. Anyways, she walks in, had gotten onto a commercial airplane with papers, walks into our ER and says, I have a baby in my abdomen. We're like, no, you don't, girl. Come on, you're crazy. Go sit down. Nope. Sure enough. Big lesson. Always believe your patients. That was a crazy case. There were a lot of surgeons involved. I wasn't involved in her surgery, but there were gynecologists, GYN oncologists, vascular surgeons, general surgery. It was a really huge deal. But these things can happen to people. One thing that is super interesting is more than half of the women who have an ectopic pregnancy have no risk factors. And that was me. No risk factors over here, but I still got one. But it is worth knowing what the risk factors are. So having a previous ectopic is the top risk factor you can have. It increases your chance of having a subsequent ectopic by 10 times. Oh, so high. Having a tubal disease, a known tubal abnormality, increases the chance by three times. And the number one cause for sure is chlamydia. Chlamydia is a sexually transmitted disease that even if you get tested and treated for, has a high potential to damage your fallopian tubes. Public service announcement, wear a condom, protect yourself, safe sex practices, protect your future fertility. Smoking is another big one. It increases your chance by two times because the smoke is toxic. No big surprise there, guys. But it changes the beat of the cilia inside the fallopian tube. And so the egg does not move through the tube at the same speed that it normally should. There is a huge thing about birth control. So you may hear that birth control increases your chance of an ectopic pregnancy. So listen to me now. Birth control does not increase your chance of an ectopic pregnancy. IUDs do not increase your chance of an ectopic pregnancy. Having a tubal ligation does not increase your chance of an ectopic pregnancy. Overall, your chance of any pregnancy is super low if you're using those forms of contraception. However, if you happen to get pregnant, if you fall in the 1%, then your chance of it being a tubal pregnancy is high. Does that make sense? I will often have patients say, oh, I don't want an IUD because it's too high risk for a tubal pregnancy. No, no, still the very greatest chance is you just don't get pregnant. Therefore, there is no tubal pregnancy at all. And my dear friends, infertility is a risk factor. Two times the increase if you have infertility. Even without tubal disease that we know about, this could be due to toxic tubal environment, maybe from inflammation like endometriosis. Maybe there is pathology. Maybe there is scar tissue or altered tubal function. Something may be going on. And I tell patients this all the time. Just because your fallopian tubes may look normal on an HSG or an x-ray test, that's only checking if they're open. It is not checking function at all. We don't have a way to test tubal function. And if you have one tube that's abnormal, the other one is probably not functioning either, you guys, because you have two tubes. They're usually exposed to the same things. And listen here, IVF increases the chance of a tubal pregnancy. 
That seems crazy to some people, but the truth is normally egg and sperm meet in a fallopian tube and embryos formed over the course of the next five to six days until it enters into the uterine cavity. Then it goes and implants inside the uterus. However, in IVF, we take the eggs out of the body, fertilize them in the lab, and those five to six days of growth occur in the lab. We then take an embryo, load it into a catheter, and insert it through the cervix into the uterus. That's called the embryo transfer. But because the trajectory of the embryo is going from bottom to top instead of top to bottom, there is a chance that that pregnancy could get sucked up into the tube. We think this happens even higher if the tubes are damaged. There are some thought that this occurs even more in women who have a very high estradiol or estrogen level in their IVF cycle because this changes the architecture of the endometrial lining, therefore potentially making the uterus less hospitable to an embryo. There also may be some technique things, putting the embryo too high, pushing too hard, having a lot of fluid in the catheter, things that you may not know about. But overall, doing IVF doubles your chance of having an ectopic pregnancy. There also is an increase in heterotopic pregnancy, largely due to two embryo transfers. So if you have had IVF and you transfer two embryos and your doctor sees one inside your uterus, you may still have one in the fallopian tube, especially if you're having pain. IVF is changing in a lot of ways. We are very careful with transfer to try to control all the technique things we do. We do a lot of frozen embryo transfers or only select women get a fresh transfer when that estrogen level is high to try to prevent this. And there's a huge push in the field for single embryo transfer to try to decrease the risk of a heterotopic pregnancy, one outside the uterus and one inside the uterus. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. 
And other risk factors include the earlier age you are when you start having sex, the increased number of lifetime sexual partners you've had. This is probably strongly correlated with an increase of STD risk, largely chlamydia. So again, protect yourself. So how is an ectopic pregnancy diagnosed? So the classic symptoms are delayed period or a positive pregnancy test, some type of vaginal bleeding or spotting, and lower abdominal pain. So no period, but spotting with pain. What you'll do if you come into the ER, we will check a blood test called an HCG. The HCG is secreted from a growing pregnancy from the placenta. HCG is usually detectable about 8 to 10 days after ovulation, so a few days after that implantation stage. And really importantly, HCG has a normal curve, which normal pregnancies should follow. Specifically, we will check your HCG level again in 48 hours, and we want to see a doubling. That is reassuring of a normal pregnancy. Now, yes, some ectopic pregnancies can double. They can get a good old little implantation and start rising. But for us, one of the top signs is a non-rising ectopic pregnancy. One of the hard things is that as a pregnancy is very early, you may get a positive HCG. You may be in the emergency room with pain, and we may see nothing on ultrasound, meaning it is too early to detect a pregnancy in the tube or in the uterus. It's just a very early stage. This is five weeks gestation or something, so just a week after your missed period. At this stage, we often don't know, is this an early pregnancy or is this an early miscarriage? Maybe it is a uterine pregnancy that's going to be a chemical pregnancy or is it an ectopic pregnancy? In my residency program, we always called this early versus missed versus ectopic, meaning your early pregnancy with bleeding and some pain. Something's going on, but I don't know what it is. The other more official name for this is a pregnancy of unknown location. You are pregnant. I don't see it on ultrasound and I don't know why. There are some clues that can help us. One is when your last period was. Were your periods really regular? When did you have intercourse? Did you have a lot of intercourse or was there just one sexual encounter that contributed to this pregnancy? Were you tracking ovulation? Do you know if you ovulated? And what is the discriminatory zone of your HCG? Simplest way to put it is that if things are progressing at the dates we expect, we should see a sac inside the uterus around five weeks and four days, five weeks and five days pregnant. I should see something on ultrasound that correlates with that. HCG levels at this time are usually of a certain level, about 1,500 or 2,000, meaning, hey, once your HCG is this high, you should be about five and a half weeks pregnant, and I should see a gestational sac, a little sac inside the uterus. It doesn't mean the pregnancy is perfect or normal. We still want to follow those HCG levels and watch to see if the week after we can see an embryo, is there a heartbeat, and things like that. But it at least tells us we don't have an ectopic. We get really concerned if you have really well-known dates, like my IVF friends or my IUI friends, we know your dates, fertility patients. Or if your HCG is really high and I don't see anything in your uterus. Those are red warning flags for ectopic pregnancy. And so even you, if you're a patient and you have, oh, I have pain and bleeding and a positive pregnancy test and you go to the ER and your HCG is 4,000 and they do an ultrasound and they don't see something inside the uterus, yeah, you should not go home. That's not a go-homeable thing. You need to be talking to somebody about your treatment choices. Is this an ectopic? Do we know? What does that mean? Because those are the patients that walk into my clinic the next day 
after being in the ER all night with a belly full of blood trying to die on me. And I do not like it. I don't. Fair point here is that we should always be making sure you're hemodynamically stable, meaning what's your blood pressure? What's your heart rate? Are you showing signs that you're bleeding internally? Is there anything on exam that gives you what we call an acute abdomen, such as there's blood inside there? Those are things we're looking for because that's a surgical emergency. But presumably, if everything's fine, you just have a pregnancy of unknown location, we'll follow your HCG levels. So you'll have to go somewhere and get another HCG in two days. I promise you this. We want your pregnancy to be normal. I want nothing more than for your pregnancy to be normal. I'm going to give your pregnancy every last chance to be normal that it can, but at some point it must declare itself, and if it stays at a very abnormal rise, it is not normal, and we need to intervene before it harms your life or your body or your ability to have children in the future. Further, there is some thought that the lower your HCG starts, the higher the chance that this is not going to be a normal pregnancy. At the time of missing your period, we'd love to see an HCG level around 50 to 100, depending on when you may have ovulated. I've had a really low HCGs turn into living children. I have. They rose normally. That's the key. So if you have a low level and we're following it, you may have a doctor give you warnings. But if it's rising normally, we're going to keep on giving it a chance. But if it is not rising normally, we must intervene. And so there's different options. So expectant management is just watching to see. A lot of ectopic pregnancies will resolve on their own. Up to 90% of ectopic pregnancies with a low starting HCG of less than 1,000 will actually resolve on their own. That's astronomical. So it may be in the tube. We may give it a chance to see, okay, I'm going to bring it back and see if it's dropping on its own. But if it's not and it's rising or plateauing, we got to do something. Another thing we can do, so that's expectant management. Wait and see. Must have good access to healthcare. Cannot live far away from a hospital cannot get on an airplane or travel, you're in close contact. Another option is a DNC or some type of aspiration of the endometrial contents. We can then look to see if there's products of conception, essentially if there's villi, so placental surface tissue in what we've extracted out. If it happened to be just a failing uterine pregnancy, great, you're dunsies. You kind of resolve the pregnancy fast and we move forward. But friends, if there's no tissue of placental origin inside the uterus, then we have diagnosed that it is an ectopic pregnancy and something has got to happen. So the choices for treatment for an ectopic pregnancy, once you've ruled out or tried to do expectant management, there's two main things we can do. Surgery, medicine called methotrexate. All right, well, before I tell you my story about an ectopic, I want to take a moment and say thank you to our sponsor for this episode. Thrive Cosmetics is sponsoring this episode. And if you don't know about Thrive, they are a skin-loving, environmentally-loving, animal-friendly brand. So everything is formulated without parabens, sulfates, or phthalates. And Thrive never tests on animals and it uses 100% vegan ingredients. So you know that I am a huge fan of that. Personally, I have the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. They gifted me some and sent it to me. And oh my gosh, it's amazing. I have to tell you, I have always loved the tube mascara, so the type that doesn't run off under your eyes, so you don't get that raccoon look, comes off with water and pressure. But this stuff also makes your eyes look really big and bright and your lashes look great. I can't say enough, really great things. It doesn't flake. It looks amazing. 
And to make everything a little bit better for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics helps women in need by donating funds or products. So they are huge supporters of women, including homeless shelters, domestic abuse, and those fighting cancer. So you can see why they're called Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, Medics. So I want to start helping women thrive and look their best. You can have a special offer for 15% off your next order. So you need to go to thrivecosmetics.com slash as a woman and use the code as a woman for 15% off your next order. So again, that's thrive, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash as a woman, code as a woman for 15% off. Hope you enjoy. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer's upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Now get ready. Back to the episode for my own story. All right. So to spare you all the details, we had been trying to get pregnant and we had had three miscarriages and I was feeling real, real pessimistic about life. And I was an infertility fellow and I got a positive pregnancy test when I was on fellows retreat with my co-fellow. So she was my third year fellow and I was a first year fellow. At that stage of the game, your program sends everybody to Park Cities and it's an amazing weekend. You go rafting, there's usually a lot of drinking and hiking and there's some lectures about what you want to learn and develop as an REI. I did not feel great. I was really nauseous. I'd kind of been pregnant before, and I was thinking maybe this could be what it is. And we went and got a pregnancy test, and I took it, and it was positive. So I was really scared based on my history of having miscarriages in the past. So we decided that we'd follow HCG levels when we got back just to reassure me. And my first HCG level was 36. That's not 50 to 100, but I stayed optimistic. We repeated it in two days, and it was 97. Woohoo, that's more than a doubling. I felt pretty good about things. Said, I'm not going to worry about this. We're just going to carry on. And I started having some spotting a little while later. Checked an HCG and it was 150. And at this point, it should have been around 800 if it was normal, if it was normal and doubling appropriately. So I repeated it and it went up to 186. And I repeated it and it went up to 231. And at this point, it was really, really obvious this was not happening. Okay, so I was not happy about that. This really sucked. Happened to get that 231 value and Jason had left town to go to a bachelor party because isn't this how life goes? And I had told him, I'm good. I'm totally good. Leave. Go to bachelor party. All is well. Which was really dumb of me. If we're admitting the truth, super dumb right there. But regardless, that's what I did. So he was gone. And my co-fellow said, hey, we got to do an ultrasound. 
this is not normal. Let's try to see if we can figure out what's going on. And I had a gestational sac in what appeared to be my ovary. Now, officially, an ovarian ectopic pregnancy is supposed to only be diagnosed by surgery. So there's a chance it could have just been the distal end of the tube called the fimbria right on top of my ovary. But my co-fellow saw it. We showed it to our attending. Yeah, that looked real bad. So the choices there were to go to surgery or to do methotrexate. And nobody wants to do surgery on the ovary unless you have to. You're going to lose. It's going to be bloody. There's going to be tissue that's going to be lost. So we all said, let's do methotrexate and be rather aggressive about it and make sure that it resolves. First off, one of my fertility nurses, Kim, who I'll always love you forever, her first day back from maternity leave, met me. Hi, I'm the first year fellow. I've got an ectopic pregnancy. Can you give me methotrexate? And she did like a champ. Love you, Kim, now and forever. And I've always appreciated your grace in that circumstance. Methotrexate is a folic acid antagonist. Essentially what this means is it stops cell division. So still stop dividing, especially rapidly growing cells like a pregnancy. So you have to get this in an intramuscular injection. It is titrated specifically to your body weight. It is cleared by the kidneys. So there are some contraindications. You can't have renal disease. You can't have lung disease because there's some sensitivity there. You need not be anemic when you get it. You need to not be immunodeficient or be breastfeeding, be an alcoholic or have active liver disease. So lots of things have to be working normally for you to be able to get this medication. There are factors which make it more successful. So the earlier you get it, the smaller a mass is on ultrasound, the less developed the pregnancy is, so no heart rate or a small fetal pole. And the higher the HCG level is, the less likely you are to respond. So if you're going to get methotrexate, the earlier the better. You also have to not be bleeding internally or need a surgical emergency or not be able to comply. If you're living out in the boonies, this may not be a good treatment option for you. You got to be able to get to the hospital fast because you can still rupture with an ectopic pregnancy, even after getting methotrexate. So you're not out of the woods until the pregnancy has actually resolved. So what happens is that you get this shot and it sucks. It feels like you have been hit by a truck. And ever since I got it, I probably had counseled so many women beforehand. It's a chemotherapy. It has some associated risks. There's risks of GI upset and not feeling well, but it's cleared from your body, blah, blah, blah. When I got it myself, I felt like I had been hit by a truck, like the flu on steroids. Every muscle in my body ached. I felt so fatigued. I was nauseous as could be. I felt terrible. And I was completely unprepared for it. Emily Evans Hoker, I will love you till the end of time for helping me get through this time period and for doing what I needed, which was to say, do not come to work. I'm covering your stuff. You made it non-optional and I love you dearly and always will. Because as women, we just, or at least as myself, as a controlling type A perfectionist, I was not going to call in sick or not be there or not show up. I was strong enough to handle it, but I was not. It really, really was terrible. And I just try to prepare every woman. You need to take off work. It's going to feel like you got hit by a truck. You need to have somebody home with you. You're not going to feel well. So you get methotrexate. You have to stop your prenatal vitamin or folic acid. You have to stop eating spinach, which is not fun for me either. And then you have to follow HCG levels. So there's a very specific protocol. You get X amount of methotrexate for your body weight on day number one. 
Then you're going to check of HCG level again on days number four and seven. It may rise between day one to four and that's okay, but we need a 15% drop from day four to seven to keep following it. If there's not a 15% drop between those days, then you need to repeat a dose and get another injection of it and keep on following it until your HCG is completely negative or less than five. You're not out of the woods till it's all the way down. And at any stage of this, it could still rupture. The pregnancy is still in your fallopian tube. It is hopefully starting to dissolve and get rid of itself, but your tube could still rupture. So you have to have good compliance, follow your levels, live close, and have access to a hospital. And I tell every methotrexate patient, if you get severe onset of pain and you know what it is, you're going to the ER. Call me on the way, but you're going to the ER. Overall success depends if you are a good candidate or not. And everybody who gets it, about 75 to 90% will resolve. There is about 12% chance of failing with a single dose injection. But this, again, it's all on patient selection. The tube may still function about 60 to 85% of the time, about the same as if you do a certain type of surgery called a salpinogostomy. But you still have a huge increased risk of an ectopic pregnancy. And super, super important, you have to wait to get pregnant. You have to wait three months for this to clear your system before you can get pregnant again. And for me, the infertility girl who was the infertility fellow, this was pregnancy number four, no baby in my arms. That sucked the most. That's why some of my patients don't like to get it because now you're kind of put out of commission. I'll say in hindsight, it's fine. I went back on birth control pills. We traveled some, kind of put pregnancy out of our minds and it was good for our soul. But that's part of the deal. You can't get pregnant for three months because folic acid is critical in cell development, especially the neural tube, and you have a higher risk of birth defects if you get pregnant in a close proximity to methotrexate. The other treatment is surgery. So some people do not get a choice. If you are hemodynamically stable, meaning bleeding inside your belly from presumed tubal rupture, if you also have an intrauterine in pregnancy, so if you have one of the heterotopics, you have to get surgery on the ectopic. If you can't take methotrexate for any contraindication, if you have lack of access to care, if you want your tubes tied anyway. So if you're done having kids, don't waste your energy on methotrexate. Just go to surgery and get the tubes out. Or if you failed medical treatment. So if you're in that category of women who do not respond to methotrexate, then you have to get surgery. There's different things that can be done. Taking the entire tube out, which is called a salpingectomy, versus doing an incision on the tube letting the pregnancy come out and hoping the tube will heal called a salpingectomy. Pros and cons to all of them. Salpingectomy prevents you from getting an ectopic pregnancy on that side again because there's no fallopian tube. Certainly at the site of a prior salpingectomy, you have a chance of having a future ectopic. So there is a higher risk of recurrence. It's about a 15% chance of recurrence if you get pregnant again. But overall, both are options depending on the patient and the scenario. There is such a thing as a persistent ectopic, and this is most commonly after a complication of conservative surgery, so trying to leave the tube in place. This can be up to a 30% chance if you do conservative surgery based on case reports. So the point here is that it can still rupture. You can have persistently high HCG levels. It can cause immense scarring, infection, and other problems. So following is important. So we still want to follow up HCG levels no matter what. As for me, I didn't need surgery. I was lucky. I got methotrexate once and that was enough, probably because my starting HCG value was pretty low. It was not fun. Jason got on a plane and flew home from Las Vegas. He was not happy about it, but he was mostly not happy that I had let him go. But that was at my own fault. He got there and he was super supportive. 
And one of the hardest things for us was in explaining this was happening to all of our friends and family. At this point, he'd left a bachelor party. Something was going on. So he had to tell them. I had been really secretive about our fertility struggles. Nobody knew about our miscarriages, minus Emily, my co-fellow. Nobody knew about this pregnancy. And from personal experience, I can say it is really hard to be in a spot where you have not told anyone you are pregnant and now you need support and have to tell people that you're having a bad outcome. I currently encourage all my patients and all my friends to tell people early. The people who you need support from, let them in. Hey, we got a pregnancy test. We're not out of the woods or it's looking bad. Just want you to know. Because then they can come, be there, show up and support you. People can't do that if you do not let them in. So I'm going to end by saying this. Don't make my mistake. Understand that other people want the best for you. Open people up if you're struggling like I did so that you can get the support. And if you're listening to this just to learn for your own sake or so that you can be a better support to your friends and family, good for you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you all for listening so much. I just can't even tell you how much it means to me to have all of your support and love on this podcast. I love every rate, review, and share. Love them, love them, love them. I just can't thank you enough. Please feel free to follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Oh, and now on TikTok. Now on TikTok too, at Natalie Crawford MD. And also the website of the same name, NatalieCrawfordMD.com. Feel free to send out emails or messages with any topics you'd love to hear covered in the future. I write them all down. And again, a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my story and supporting me always. Always.